0: Welcome to the Velvet Machete Leadership Podcast. Become a confident, compassionate leader while sharpening your brand from the inside out. It's time to gear up to learn from expert guests and your host, Amber Hurdle.
1: Welcome to the Velvet Machete Leadership Podcast. I am your host, Amber Hurdle. And as always, I'm super appreciative that you're here with me and my guest taking your very limited time um that is something that we cannot get back and so the fact that you find any value in spending it with me is extraordinarily rewarding and i appreciate you so much um i can't say that enough over the years you guys have just been so loyal and that is why i am extremely hardcore about who i allow on this podcast to make sure that they are an enormous source of value for you. And today's guest is, uh, we're going to be talking about one of my favorite topics ever. Um, it's something that I'm very comfortable with that most people are not. So let me tell you about him. Jake Jacob supports people like you who lead change work and who are frustrated that the results that they achieve are too slow Hard or just plain disappointing. He has distilled his 35 years of consulting experience into eight strategic actions or levers that he's developed to address the most common problems people and organizations bump up against when trying to bring about successful change. The levers can be used on any change in any organization made by anyone. So we got you covered on this episode. So today I hope that our conversation helps you immediately with the change work that you are doing and will also help you prepare for the future. And I would dare say that leading through change is always an important leadership component, but especially in light of. Our recent and current experiences contending with the changes, the countless changes brought on by COVID-19, I think this is a critical topic. So your Sherpa today is Jake Jacobs. Jake, welcome to the Velvet Machete Leadership Podcast.
0: Thank you so much, Amber, and um, for the uh, warm introduction. The bar is high. <laughs> now you got to live up to it, buddy. I'm just kidding. Exactly. <laughs> uh,
1: so you, you're your book leverage change, um, just came out and we're super excited about that. And as an author myself, I know that writing a book is not an easy thing. So before we even dive into these levers that you have this success path that you have, what is it about change that you're like, yeah, I'm going to go through the emotional trauma of writing an entire book.
0: Well, um, So change is always, uh, and studying it and working at it has been part of my life since my very first consulting project, which occurred when I was in college um, at the University of Michigan, and I was tending bar. And uh, people were complaining, as they do at jobs, about one thing or another. And I was in the organizational psychology program, and I thought, hey, maybe I can get credit. And I could also improve, because I was one of the people complaining, I could improve my work environment. And so they went ahead and said, yeah, you can do this. So I went and I did interviews, did a questionnaire, had a couple of meetings, and uh, things, things got better. And when I started that project, the owner of the bar said, listen, Jacobs, just don't F anything up which was my first consulting contract. And I did, uh, one other thing about that story is there's something called participant observation in, uh, in psychology. And that means like you, you sort of half participate and half observe what's going on. And so I said, look, to measure the culture of the organization, there's supposed to be two inches of foam on a pitcher of beer. And that's what the rule is. And so I went to the psychology department and I said, listen, you know, I want to go and observe and see how often they hit the two inch mark on the, on the pitcher of beer. And I can't just sit there cause it'll look odd. Right. I mean, right. what am I doing? I'm probably watching people pull beer. So I said, I would like some funding so that I can drink beer at the bar while I'm do. doing my participant observation. And I thought this was a great idea. They tossed me out on my ear immediately. And they said, you know, Jacobs just don't F it up in the psychology <laughs> terms. And uh, so I started doing consulting work when I was uh, 21 years old and it's all I've ever done. I, I started with a, a mentor and a, a project at Ford on a global culture change initiative and was working when I was 23 years old with senior executives at Ford. So I have always been drawn to it and I've always been drawn to organizations working well and people being able to realize their full potential as part of work. We spend so much time there that uh, anything less I, I think is robbing ourselves and robbing the organization and ultimately robbing the customers.
1: Yeah. Oh so much that all, all of that uh, triple amen. Um, so you, I don't even know if passion's the right word. It's almost like your life's calling is to help people get out of their own way to, as I like to call it, um, you know, sometimes organizations just get energetically constipated and they can't <laughs> get That's past a
0: description this. That's a good description
1: i mean you went with the beer and so i was like we're just going to say what i say behind the scenes but my, you know my audience is pretty used to amberisms by now but this is um this is a hairball that you are drawn to this Absolutely. is like you're like running into the bullets <laughs> in this type of work so yeah. as we're thinking about your methodology that you've put together. Can you, b- before we kind of hit on the high spots of that, what, um, what is the, the foundational expectation that you have to have in place before these eight things will even work?
0: Well, I mean, for me, Amber, uh, the more complexity, the more messy, the faster things need to change. Uh, the more an organization's back is against the wall. I- I'm drawn to those situations. Mm -hmm. Like, um, I I find them both intriguing, but also it's kind of like, and I think sports people say this baseball hitters say, you know, the ball slows down or basketball players say the, you know, the rim gets bigger. And so for me, when these things are going on in an organization, everything slows down what Mm -hmm. people are saying, how they're saying it, what's happening, Uh, different conflicts that might be arising, how people are interacting with each other, all of these things for me slow down. So when most people would run the other direction and, you know, cry fire or whatever, um, I am totally drawn towards those. And if you put me in the middle of a listening skill session and you said, you know, go lead this session, I'm sure I would botch it up because it's just too straightforward and too, like, practically easy to do, I would never do it well. So for these levers, what I think you need to believe in is the possibility, no matter how much you're struggling, how difficult it's been, how much people are resisting what you're doing, you have to hold the possibility of a great result, an mm. exceptional result, not just the Things work and you get by and it's better. But I talk with clients about, hey, let's take what you think is going to happen in two years and let's make it happen in six months.
1: Mm, I love Let's that. take
0: something where you're looking at a 5% improvement in quality and let's look at a 40% improvement in quality. So you have to suspend disbelief about what's possible because I have seen with clients for 35 years, Amazing results that they accomplish. In fact, many times leaders, I say to them at the beginning, you know, you're going to have to get out of the way of the organization because people are going to be moving so quickly. And they kind of, you know, laugh at me, roll their eyes, and they're like, yeah, if we could get this organization moving, it's the Queen Mary, it's going to take years. And sure enough, they better watch out because people get engaged and motivated when you go about changing the right way. And what seemed impossible before just becomes everyday reality. And I I know it sounds like snake oil. It sounds like I'm selling you something, but Mm -hmm. I have seen this happen enough that I hold the belief. So having that possibility is I think a precursor to doing any of the work.
1: Yeah, I don't care how bloated an organization is, and and you know bureaucracy, infrastructure, whatever. Um, the key thing nowadays is to to be agile, and so whatever that means for your size of an organization, it, it is what it is. Because look at the look at the space age that we're living in. I mean, we are, yeah. you know, we're the Jetsons essentially without the flying cars. The things that we dreamed about as kids are happening now. And that technology is changing so quickly that by the time you get to that goal post, it's moved. So, yeah. so, so that's why people like you are so critical. And I just want to echo, um, you know, I don't know if you looked into my background at all, but what happened was 16 years old, I got knocked up. I was a good kid, president of everything. Great kid. And, um, and then that happened. And so what that taught me a lot about change, um, a lot about agility, a lot about spa, but (laughs) my leadership philosophy, my, my branding strategy, all of that came from the hard times and the thing that carried me through it was hope. And what you just described, you know, being excited about the possibility of being committed to what is possible to me. That just, that's hope. And so yep. I just, I can't, you know, I am who I am now because in the shiz show, that was my life. I just always kept focused on that hope. So I just want to nail that down, um, for our, for our listeners. So now that we have, you know, what things are going right in between our ears and we all are, are looking at the possibility. You have eight different ways that you can go about this or eight steps or, um, what you used levers. I love that. What is the most important lever of your eight?
0: Yeah. So I think first, let me just say one quick thing. So people understand why levers, so levers are small strategic actions that give you a big return on investment. Okay. So what I'm going to be talking about is not necessarily difficult. It doesn't take a ton of resources. A lot of them are adopting a new paradigm or adopting new assumptions. And by thinking in new ways, we can be in new ways in terms of individuals and then ultimately the organization's performance. So the one lever that I have found most significant when I mention it to people, and your listeners will be able to take this and use it immediately. And I can guarantee it will lead to specific concrete actions that they will be able to take right now. Hey. So here's the lever. The lever deals with change being too slow. Each of the levers deals with a particular problem that organizations or individuals bump up against when they're trying to create change. And then I designed a lever to address it. So when change is too slow, uh, people don't believe that it's going to happen. You know, like they Think this too shall pass or whatever. And leaders get very frustrated because the marketplace, like you're saying, is moving and the goalpost keeps moving. So the lever for this one is think and act as if the future were now. So what this says is you need to suspend your disbelief rather than seeing the future as something that's going to occur at a later point in time, which is what we're taught from a young age, and most people walking around the world would say, well, of course that is, the future's out there. My argument is that by putting the future out there, we have to wait for it. And we mm. have to wait as long as we put it out there. So if you have a one-year, 12-month year plan, I've got to wait a whole year, because I've defined it as that already. When you think and act as if the future were now, what you do is you get some image of the future, and it doesn't have to be the whole thing, any element of the future, and you say, okay, let's assume that's true today. Now, what am I going to think and do differently now than I wouldn't have unless I waited for that future? So one simple story, there was a client of mine that um, had leadership team problems, they didn't have effective meetings, most basic thing in an organization. And so I talked with them and I said, look, in the future, you are going to have clear purpose and outcomes and agendas for all these meetings. And they said, okay, that sounds like a good idea. So I said, and we're going to engage the right people that are needed for a meeting to be successful. And they were like, yep, yep, makes sense. So we were in a meeting and they were dealing with sales and the sales force was um, trying to win market share in a new region. So they said, all right, let's talk about this. So the senior team got together and looked at the possibility of how to win market share in this new region. And we spent the morning doing that. And at lunch I said to them, I said, you know, you guys are kind of at loggerheads. They had two answers, neither one was clear. They were arguing back and forth about it. And one of the levers is create a common database. So when things aren't clear, you need more information. So what I said was that in that case, what we need to do is to start Behaving differently. If we want to have this organization move into the future, you want a participative organization, which was a culture change they were working on. I said, then we get these people in the room right here and now. Don't set a meeting for next week when we're going to bring the salespeople in. Get them in the room. Everybody who is in the office, bring them in the room. And everybody that's not, call them on the phone, get them in here, and let's make a different decision based on the reality of what's going on in this region. And they looked at me and they said, well, we're going to do that next week. And I said, no, no, we're going to do that right now. And by doing it right now, what we're going to do is make the future happen faster. And so they reached out and they called all these people. They had a new decision. It was made by 1.30 in the afternoon after lunch. and they actually took over market share and they took over market share faster than they ever believed possible because they had alignment. All these people who were supposed to implement it were in on the decision and so they got out of the starting gate and they accomplished this in three months, what they thought was going to take two years. And so by thinking and acting as if the future were now, you accelerate the pace of change and you bring your future into your present.
1: That's so good. Now, Jake, you are inherently, I mean, game recognizes game inherently an innovative person. You like competing priorities. Um, you like for, um, you know, I'm sure the, the rule book to you is more of like a suggestion book. And, (laughs) um, and so, So you, you show up in a way where that is easy for you to do. When you go into an organization, um, you would not be 35 years successful in your career and writing a book if you did not understand how to influence the behavior of people who are not like you. So I'm a leader and you're telling me go in as if the future is now and i'm like, and i walk in and i have a team meeting and they're like oh here we go again another change that we're never going to actually realize the benefits from whatever flavor of the week and then you come he comes in or she comes in and says the future is now let's act like it everybody get into a meeting what are the pitfalls that we need to look out for before we before we do this
0: okay so one of them is having a lousy picture of the future Mm. or a picture of a lousy future, either one of those. If I'm not clear, if I have a bad picture of the future and it's not clear to me, then it's not going to be clear to me how to think and act differently because it's a fuzzy picture of the future. So you got to get clearer about the future. So that's what happens if you have a a lousy picture of the future. The other problem is that you get a picture of a lousy future, (laughs) which means that we're gonna get you, you read this book, you use these levers and we will get you a faster, easier, better, lousy future than you ever imagined possible. So the other part, exactly, the other part of it is that you've gotta be really smart about setting strategy. Now, there are ways I talk in the book about a sailboat tacking. So rather than like setting course and then hoping for the best and never checking where you're at, What you have to do is take short learning loops so that you take action and immediately you check and you see what was the impact of that. And then we make another action and we check and we see and we check and we see so that we're never far off course. And so they call this rapid prototyping in manufacturing so that you quickly come back with a new version of what it was and you improve it based on what you learn. Like in real time. In real time. In fact, there is a book that I wrote previously called Real-Time Strategic Change. And Amber and I did not. I don't know that we put our heads together on that. But the notion (laughs) of real time is about accelerating the pace of change. So that whole notion of watch out for having a fuzzy picture of the future and watch out for having a bad, lousy, strategic uh, non-strategic picture of the future. Those are two really big problems. If you're going to be accelerating the pace of change.
1: Yeah. So once we have, and I, I know we can't get into all eight, but once we have this renewed mindset that we can get everyone, um, bought into successfully, because we're going to be clear, um, and we're going to make sure that it's, it's not a lousy picture for moving forward. What is another, like, major gust of wind in the sails of change in an organization? That's a lever we can pull from your system.
0: Yeah, yeah. So um, you said earlier, Amber, that like I I think innovatively, and you know people would say I think differently. My third grade teacher would probably still tell you <laughs> that I thought differently. Um, so that's been part of me since uh, since I was a young child. But one of the levers deals with when people are experiencing too much change. So a lot of organizations, they call it change fatigue, but it's like there's this onslaught and you get overwhelmed and you get anxious and, and all of these things get in the way of effective performance, not to mention being a lousy way to go through life. Mm. So most people, when they deal with change and consultants who support organizations dealing with change, What do they focus on? They focus on what's going to be different. They focus Mm. on change. And at face value, that makes sense. What do we need to do differently? How do we need to be different with our behaviors, with our strategies, with our markets? All all this is focused on change. And what I also talk about with people is what not to change. Mm. It's important to pay attention. I call it continuity, but it's just as important to pay attention to what you're not going to change as what you are going to change. Because if you drop the ball on some of the things that you've done well in the past, you don't get credit for making effective changes when you drop the ball on some things that you used to do well. And the other thing is, is that people, when they listen, when they read memos, when they go to town halls, when they're in meetings, If all they're doing is bombarded with the change message, and and, the case for change is a way to convince people that we think that change is needed. What I say is, you know what? create a case for continuity at the same time. Uh, What are those things that are going to stay the same and have people be really clear about those and what that does. And I've done this, we have a a group consultation program. And so there are leaders of different change efforts in the same organization. They come together and I've said, listen, what I want you to do is pay attention to continuity and start making lists of all the things that are going to stay the same. And what they report back to me and to each other is that, people relax when they start mm. making these lists they they sit up a, a little taller in their chair they sit back they breathe a little deeper all of that anxiety that comes with having to hunker down around change goes away and they're able to think more strategically more creatively because they're also paying attention to continuity. It's just the other side of the coin. I mean, at some level, it's like the other hand clapping. Of course, you should pay attention to it. But I will tell you, few and far between, will you find people writing books about continuity? People, CEOs do not get on the cover of Fortune magazine by saying, you know, we continue doing what we've always done. And I would argue a few of them ought to.
1: Yeah. Well, if you look at um like financial institutions, they're they're trust brands, right? So they're you don't you don't want your bank being overly innovative. <laughs> you want them to be nice and consistent and do the things. But the thing, you know, from a human behavior standpoint, you're you're going to have people like Jake and I who are like, "Ooh, what can we change today? Like it's only noon, we can change three more things by the end of the day." But then there's also, you know, I don't want people to think, oh, well, they're, you know, they're just a killjoy. They can't handle change. I think what Jake just pointed out is helpful to understand. It's not that they necessarily don't like change. Sometimes people will even profess that they don't like change. And I counter with, is it that you do not like change or it's that you don't have a system in place to realize the change, to make the newness become continuous again, to make what you're trying to make happen for the future, have some kind of stable strategic way of implementation or of of implementing it. Because there are people who go out there and like come up with the ideas. And then there are the people who have to make sure that the ideas actually stick because these people have moved on to something else. So you need both. I think that yin and that Yang that you pointed out, is a critical part, yeah, for everybody to recognize.
0: Yeah, and it, it, I think it just basically gets ignored mm-hmm. by most people dealing with change. Whether it's a leader, or it's a consultant, whether it's somebody writing a book, they ignore it. And I just think that they ignore it at their peril. It's, it's such a simple concept. As soon as I describe it to clients, you know, it's like they, they knock the side of their head and they're like, "Yeah, well, of course." And what you find is that the continuity that comes with it, when you get that picture, let's put these levers together. When you get a compelling picture of the future, part of the picture of that future actually is your past and present. Mm. You know, if you want to look, why do organizations have missions and visions and values? This is all about continuity. And there are people who spend a long time working on these things, and they are perfect examples of a long-term continuity play that gives people the foundation they need to take a leap into the unknown. And so a lot of risk that people feel around change, it's like, well, that's because that's the only thing we've been talking about. If you step back far enough and you say, what's that future? Some of the future is going to be the same as it is today. And some of it's going to be different, but having a whole picture of what we're trying to accomplish helps you with the think and act as if the future were now lever.
1: Yeah. Oh, I love that. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a culture evangelist. It's been a huge part of my career. And, and the thing about culture is it is, it is the continuity. So this is the, it's the foundation of the brand. It is what we all agree upon. It's why I work here. It's why you work here because these are the family rules that we can all get on board with. Now, this change, here's the culture. Is it moving us away from our mission, our vision, our values, our operational goals, or will this change move us closer to? And if we've all already agreed on this, then the change is less painful if we can agree that it's moving us closer to that stable foundation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I had a client, we worked with a telecom and the purpose of their whole change effort was to bring their culture and strategy in sync. Mm, nice. So they had a huge strategy move that they needed to make to be more responsive to customers. Um, and and uh, they basically had practically a monopoly in the marketplace. And so they needed to make this huge shift in strategy. Well, they needed to make a huge shift in culture too. Mm. And those go hand in hand because if you're wanting to be more responsive to customers, but you act like you're a monopoly. Mm. Don't get points for that. And right. people end up getting frustrated, and customers end up getting frustrated, and performance suffers for it. So I think you're absolutely right that the, the culture and strategy put together is what the winning formula is.
1: Yeah. Well, I think we have enough time for maybe one more lever. So I'm going to rub my hands together and see. <laughs> which one of the eight you're going to throw at us. And then everybody's going to have to go out and buy the book to make sure that you have leveraged change in your toolbox of things, because guess what? Change is here and it is staying with us.
0: (laughs) Right. Right. So here's, here's what I'm going to do, Amber. I believe that one of the problems is that often in organizations, people don't know enough to make good decisions. But when I'm on the front lines, I don't have enough context. I don't understand the strategy well enough. So I start doing things that from the leadership standpoint, they look and they say, well, why don't they get it? I mean, I thought it was clear. Why don't they get it and make better decisions? And then people on the front lines will look at leaders and say, well, you know, it's like they got their head in the clouds. Like, why don't they understand what's happening day to day? Why don't they see what I see? So the lever I developed for this is called create a common database. And it shows up in a lot of ways in organizations. So not only are we talking about like the hierarchy from front lines, educating leaders and leaders, educating front lines. But it's, I say, if you have a secret, that's something that somebody else in the organization needs to know that they don't know. You are guilty of keeping that secret and you have a responsibility to share what you know so that people can make a good decision. Now, this shows up in conflicts between teams when you say, well, wait a minute, why is it so important that you take that action? Well, it's like with that context. Now people say, oh, I get why you need to do that and we need to do this. How can we get them both done? Or even in a conversation with a boss and a subordinate, it's like create a common database. What are the expectations? What support is needed? I had a client once that, that talked about accountability and all they talked about was accountability. And so I said to them, I said, well, there's another hand clapping on that, which is support. What support mm-hmm. do people need in order to fulfill the accountabilities that they've signed up for? Yeah. And of course he looked at me and he's like, what do you mean support? And I was like, well, you know, do they need skills, knowledge, development, resources, tools and resources, right? Any (laughs) of this to be able to do a job. Exactly. So that notion of common database, I think if your listener sat back and said, who needs to know what I'm talking about right now, in addition to the people in the room? And they reached out to those people and they shared that information i'm a big believer in that saying information is power yeah the difference that i have is that i look at it and i say and that power should be shared widely in the organization
1: yeah one thousand percent um and in that former career in in internal communications and and whatnot um it, it never failed um when i worked for gaylord hotels I um and and led the internal change of Marriott buying Gaylord Hotels. Yep. That was yep. good times. Such very short hours every day. It was no big deal. But during that season, we produced 130 plus events a year. Um we put out a weekly newsletter in English, Spanish, and Arabic that was both okay. digital and printed we yep. had behind the scenes tvs with announcements constantly going um webinars um videos of our senior leaders we had full production um like breakdancers stilt walkers recreating mtv music things to get across cultural things or or um you know things that were happening in the hotels i mean I could go on and on and on pre-shifts, pre-shift kits, um, meetings, leadership meetings, like all the things. Always one of the top two complaints in employee engagement survey is you don't communicate enough to us.
0: Right. (laughs) Right. Right. So the thing is, is that you're doing so many things by different methods, by different people in different places at different times. And so people can't get enough information to be able to absorb. And I I believe they're well intended. I don't think that they're complaining and wanting, right? They want that information so that they can do a better job for the organization and for the customer.
1: Yeah. So you can't ever assume that you have communicated Enough, And the few people that are annoyed by over communication can get over it because I guarantee you 85 to 90% of your employee base doesn't get enough for where they are. And also just realizing too, and I'm sorry, I'm on my set box now that your, your frontline, like I work with some construction companies, um, the people who are physically on the job, swinging hammers, pouring concrete—they're not getting the same level of communication that somebody at home office, sitting behind a computer all day, going to meetings, is getting. And so, you do have to think about that multifaceted approach, and you know how many touches do we have, and all that good jazz. So, off my soapbox. All right,
0: <laughs> soapbox—it's a good soapbox to be on. I'm right up there with you. Okay, good. I—I
1: f- I feel like you and I could sing "Kumbaya" around a fire pit sometime. Um, Before we talk about a goodie that you have, um, and where to find you online, what is some parting advice that you could share with our listeners that would, um, you know, maybe it's a, something that helped set you up for success that we haven't talked about yet, or something that maybe they need to look out for what's that, what's that magic juju you can send them off with.
0: Right. So I talk about this in the book. And I believe there are four magic words. So you asked for magic juju. Here's my All magic right. Juju, right? So the magic words are, could you say more? So good. So yeah. what this means is when you're talking with people, don't, don't make the assumption that you understood them for one thing right? Don't also be preparing your argument while they're talking. We're all guilty of that. It's like, well, when's it going to be my turn? And you can't wait to get your point across so much so that you're not listening to the other person. So when you say, could you say more, a couple things happen. One of them is you actually don't talk, right? (laughs) That's very helpful. So you don't talk, which means you're listening to the other person. It's also a willing invitation to the other person to step into the center of the circle and take responsibility for their own perspectives, their own okay. points of view. And so it's not okay for somebody to you know, sort of get by it silently in the meeting. Some people take longer to think about things, that's fine. But this, could you say more? I tell clients, whether they're leaders, whether they're middle managers, when they're frontline people, it doesn't matter where you are in the organization This could you say more words if I could like put them on like a tattoo and put them on everybody's palm just so they could look up. I think performance and organizations would skyrocket because at the end of the day, it's the deeper understanding of what we're trying to accomplish and how we're trying to accomplish it. And what do I need to do? And what does Amber need to do to make it successful? That's where the gold can be mined. And I think that those four words would be advice if they just took it out, your listeners, and tried it on for size, use it a couple of times. People might be shocked
1: that they're asked,
0: could you say more? But after the shock wears off, you will learn some things that you never would have known otherwise.
1: Yeah, undercover boss not required. You can simply ask. Exactly. <laughs> ask. Exactly. People want to be part of of the conversation, so I love that. Okay, so Jake, first of all, we can find leverage change on Amazon for sure. Anywhere else? That, any
0: other places Anyone people can mo-? sell books? You can find it. Yep. Okay,
1: awesome. So that's where you're going to find the full eight. I think you probably have heard um, enough from the three that we've shared today to know that this is going to be a high value book for you. And um, if you want immediate, if you're it's two o'clock in the morning, you're listening to the podcast, which I know some of you are, I know because you've written me, uh, you can right now download 27 ways to achieve faster, easier, better results immediately at jakejacobconsulting.com. Of course, we will put that, Jake's LinkedIn handle, his Twitter handle, um, a link to the book, all the shenanigans will be in the show notes or if you're watching on youtube it'll be in the description jake this has been way more fun than um i think we should be allowed to have in a work day
0: cheers amen <laughs> that. don't Thank- tell don't tell anybody we had so much fun
1: okay i won't so and so listeners this is all this is all our little secret okay our listeners or viewers I, I forget we're on youtube now um of course Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope that you got as much value out of today as I did. Um, be sure to check out Jake and um, support him and his book while also supporting your in your or- organization if I can talk today um, through reading it and implementing his strategies. And then we will see you on the next episode with another amazing guest just like Jake. See you then.
0: Thank you for tuning in. Mentioned resources can be found at amberhurdle.com. Be sure to leave a rating and review in your favorite podcast app and subscribe so you never miss an update. As always, thank you to The Coup for our intro and outro music. See you next time.